you would learn that it's actually strongly based and influenced by what's called the Nicene Creed. So here's your church history lesson for the day. And I'm going to be real quick because I know not as many of you find it as interesting as I do. But uh, Emperor Constantine, who tried to make the religion of the world Christianity, and he did it by influencing the government uh, to some good measure and to some not so good measure, uh, got a a group of people together, the Nicenes, and they came up with this creed that was affirming the deity and um, the, the righteousness and holiness and savior messianship of Jesus Christ. And out of that, a few years well, a few centuries later came this Christmas hymn that was originally written in Latin. Uh, and so since none of us that I know of speak Latin, it is a dead language after all, uh, it needed to be translated. And interestingly, it was translated and it spread just as we learned last week. Now this one, as far as we know, uh, O Come All You Faithful was indeed written by Christians, whereas O Holy Night that we sang last week, not so much. But the interesting thing is that time and again, there's something about music sung to exalt God that captures hearts even when people don't realize it. Here's what I mean. Many of you know or knew that uh, King, one of our under-shepherds, prayed last week that I would be used mightily by God when I traveled to Beijing. Here's what I learned. Beijing is cold. When I got off the airplane, it was minus six. And then I remembered where I'm moving in a few months, and I thought, oh, Lord... Help us all. But you know what was else was interesting is you know that I like to follow politics. And I specifically am captivated by what goes on in this region. And we've read much of different crackdowns on missionaries throughout this part of the world, different uh, persecution that's happening from the Middle East to our neighbors to the north to all sorts of other areas. And yet here I am walking by what used to be the largest mall in all of Asia in Haidian district of Beijing, And guess what I sing? Guess what I hear being played over the music and the loudspeakers of the mall? Oh, come let us adore him. You see, for some reason, music gets into doors and into hearts in ways that we didn't know possible. When the president of the nation says, we will not exalt Jesus in any way, that's okay, God's got another way. We'll just put it on the radio. And we'll have people listen to it. And as we hear these words, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, and we think about them, sometimes we might think, well, I don't feel very faithful. You ever feel that way? So I certainly don't feel particularly joyful today or triumphant. What do we do with that? Well, when you think about how the song was translated, I want you to understand the point with which it was trying to communicate. Even down to the title, when you translated the title, it literally meant to be present or near those faithful of Jesus. It was reminding us that we are near to God and he is near to us. But here's the thing. I know what Christmas season can feel like. You've got a million people to see. You've got a million things to do. Work gets very busy because everybody wants to take that week off between uh, 
Christmas and New Year's or get ready for Chinese New Year that's happening earlier this year. And all of these things are later this year. I mean, yeah, last year was earlier. You get the idea. We try to squeeze everything in and we feel anything but near. We feel frantic. We feel rushed. And we can feel almost troubled. But yet this song just breathes out the scriptures in every way. And it starts with the very invitation, O come, right there, right away. We are invited into something more than the rush to find your wife the perfect Christmas gift or the rush to find your husband something or the fact that it's Christmas Eve and you realize that you're supposed to do Christmas shopping. We are invited into relationship, into peace, into hope, like we talked about last week. But my question becomes, who are invited? Because Jesus, he invites us to come. He says, come to me. Throughout scripture, throughout the New Testament, we read time and again where Jesus speaks and tells people, come, you're invited. I love the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus come down from the tree. Jesus actually invites himself to Zacchaeus' home. It's kind of a flip. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, not only are you invited to come hang out with me, but I'm coming to your house because I'm going to show the world who I came for. And so Jesus is the God of invitation. He constantly welcomes people to himself. And that hasn't changed. God's nature didn't change with Jesus. God has been doing that from day one, inviting him people to himself. Remember, in the midst of all Israel and Judah were suffering with, what did God remind the people of Hosea, the people in the time of Malachi to do? Come back, come home. God constantly invites us home. So who are invited? Who are invited into fellowship with Jesus? What kind of people is Jesus looking for? Well, that's where I want to start. First, you ready? I asked this last week, I'm going to ask it again. Anybody tired today? Yeah, good. Yeah, you're, some of you are holding up your coffee saying, yes, I'm still tired. I am now on my fourth cup and I am still tired. So empirically speaking, coffee doesn't work as well as I hoped it would. Jesus invites the weary to come. Well, the weary who are invited, well, look at what Jesus says. He says, come to me, and we talked about this last week, so I'm not going to camp out too hard here. But when you feel weary, Jesus invites you to him. He invites you to find rest in him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You're carrying the weight of the world on you. You're dealing with difficult circumstances. Christmas can often bring all sorts of things to light. You have a sick loved one. You remember a loved one that's no longer with us. You've got difficulties at work. You've got difficulties with your family, yet everybody says Christmas is for family and yours is broken. And Jesus says, bring that to me. Come to me and find rest in me. But Mike, that's like this theory and I don't know what that means in real life. How does that apply to me? It goes something like this. You wake up in the morning, right? I know this to be true because you are here and it is still technically morning. You woke up, right? Good, congratulations. 
I didn't say you woke up happy because some of you are not morning people, but you woke up. And when you woke up, instantly you began to think about your day. Now, if you do a quick check of yourself as you evaluated your day, you know how you feel already. Ten seconds into your day, you're already deciding what your day is going to be like. I woke up this morning and I felt overwhelmed. Why? Because there's a lot going on today. And I want everything to be perfect. Some might say I like to make sure things are just right and have a control problem. They would be right. We want things a certain way. But as I evaluate my day, I have a choice from the minute the day begins. I can carry all of that on myself and micromanage and say everything has to be this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, and just take all that on me. Or I can lift my head up to the skies and say, Lord, here is everything going on in my day. Here is everything going on in my mind right now. I choose to give it to you. I don't know how you're going to handle it. I don't know how you're going to make my schedule work to get me three places at one time, but you do. And I trust you. Suddenly, my day changed its outlook. My day became about hope. Did I do anything different? Yes, I did one thing different. Right there. I came to Jesus and I physically listed out to him everything going on and everything that was heavy on my heart. And I said to Jesus, Jesus, I can't carry this. Will you take it? And I know this sounds like, sounds hyper-spiritual because I'm the preacher and I'm supposed to be up here. He does this for everybody. When you leave it with him, he takes it. And he not only takes it, he says, I will keep it. Don't you try to take it back. Don't you take your burdens back. I have carried them all the way to the cross. Come, all you who are weary, and let me carry it for you. Jesus invites you to give him your life, all of it. And he says, I've got this. I can carry you through. I want to carry you through. It's not about Jesus has this obligation. He wants to. God became man and made his dwelling, made his living among us. Jesus chose to do that out of obedience for God. He did it because of his great love for humanity. He loves you. He wants to carry you toward himself. So come on. If you need to, right now, ignore the rest of my message and just start writing right now everything that's heavy on your heart. Enlist it and then leave it with Jesus. And watch what he does to your heart, to your mind, and to your ability to function. You know, something I've been observing more and more as we, as we live in this day and age is people that are paralyzed by uncertainty and fear. They know there's a way they should go. They know there's a step they could take. These are even non-Christians. That they know there's the right thing to do that would help them, that would benefit their lives, but they just can't do it because the unknown is so scary. And I see it in the church too. People stuck. Right here, Jesus invites you to get unstuck. And he teaches you how to do it. He says, come to me with your weariness, with your burdens, and I will show you the light. I am the light of the world, he tells us. So Jesus invites us to come to him, those who are weary. Who else is invited to the party? 
Well, I like this one. Who else is invited? The hungry. Anybody hungry this morning? Yeah, I didn't eat breakfast. I'm kind of hungry. I never eat breakfast on Sundays. And I'm always hungry at about this time because I know things are ramping up. But we get hungry. But this is not the kind of hunger that we're talking about here. This is different. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, how do you learn to do that? Here you can equate hunger with curiosity. Pastor Stan shared this morning about when Rowena just showed up, felt a prompting that she should show up at church about 15 months ago. And God did amazing things. He transformed her life. It wasn't because of anything special we did. Pastor Stan, Marianne, the Saturday group, they just got together and loved this woman and showed her the greatness of Jesus. God did the work of transforming her heart, and it's amazing. She was hungry. There was something inside her soul that wanted more from life. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, come on, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But Mike, I'm hungry right now. This is more than physical food. This is back to what Jesus says when he says, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. I came that you might be satisfied. I came that you might be overflowing with life. That's what real satisfaction is. It's this overwhelming, overflowing fullness of the Holy Spirit at work in us, giving us power to work and do all he has for us. And Jesus says, Let's start at the beginning. You're curious? Come. Come talk to me. Come talk to those around. Something the church, I think, has missed the boat sometimes on is we wait for people to get themselves all fixed up and then say you're ready for Jesus. Jesus says, no, come to me with your doubts. Come to me with your confusion. Come to me with your questions. God can handle them. You know how I know this? Read Psalm 73. God Why do all the bad things happen to good people and all the good things happen to bad people? Why do the unholy, the evil, the wicked prosper? It's not fair. It's not right. But it is good for me to be near God. Then I saw what God's plans were. And basically, the sons of Asaph say, and they were good. God invites you to ask questions. I invite you to ask questions. Our church longs to be a church where your questions, your doubts, your fears, they're safe here because we will walk with you. Trusting the Holy Spirit will continue to lead you to himself. Jesus invites the hungry, the curious, the skeptic. Uh, Ravi Zacharias Ministries, I love their mission and vision. It's very simple. Helping the believer think and the thinker believe. It's so simple. God doesn't say you've got to check your brain at the door. He invites you in and he says, come to me. If your need is physical, God gave us the church to try to help meet physical needs all over the world. That is one of our jobs. Mike, how do you know that to be true? I've read Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, and all the believers shared what they had with each other, and everyone had everything in common. And that then spread out into the world. When the church does its job, we are caring for the poor and the oppressed and the least of these, the physically hungry, the spiritually hungry. We are caring for all of them. If you've got doubts and questions, 
come on in. You're invited. If you have needs, come on in. And we are going to do everything we can to help. We are the church. And we are here for a world that's hungry. Amen? That means the hungry are invited. Who else is invited to the party? Who else is invited? The sinners. Well, I would ask the question of, well, who's a sinner? But the reality is I already know the answer and I don't want you to feel bad, but I'm going to raise my hand. I am indeed a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because I understand the English language and the Greek language enough to know that all there is inclusive of everyone, (laughs) it means that Jesus invites the sinner into a relationship with himself. And if we have all sinned, what does that mean? It means all are invited into relationship with Jesus. Now, don't get confused. Not all will accept and believe on the name of Jesus. But all who call on the name of Jesus, who believe on him, confess that they have sinned and that he is Lord, they will be saved. That's what the scriptures teach us. Here, Jesus is talking and he's saying, you got to understand, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came to heal the sick. I'm not here for the righteous. And what he's also saying there is, I'm not here for the self-righteous. Those that think they're better than everybody else, I didn't come for them. They'll get what's coming to them. And you can go back to Psalm 73 there again to get what he's meaning. But what Jesus is saying, those that are desperate, those that are hungry, those that are understanding their need for a Messiah, I came to save the sinner. I came to save those who are lost. It's almost like we know there's a world that needs hope, but we can get so caught up in ourselves, we forget who Jesus came for, and we're easily tempted to name all the evil in the world and be against evil, which we should be, but we forget there's humanity that's struggling and that's suffering in the darkness. And yet, as we look at Uh, Corinthians 5.17, we're reminded that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Jesus is inviting everyone to be transformed by him, not by our works. Don't be confused here. We cannot save ourselves. Jesus is inviting us to himself, saying that I am and the completion of salvation. Salvation is found through no one else but Jesus Christ. But when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we are transformed, we are a new creation. We are made new. And it changes our vision. It changes our hearts. It changes our address for all eternity. And it changes how we see a world. Hopefully it burdens us for the lost. Hopefully it bothers us that there is so much sin in this world, not that we go around screaming and yelling at everybody, but that we try to show people a better way. God wants you to know that when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are new. Your past sins don't define you. You are faithful because He is faithful. If we become this new creation, then we have to understand that he's begun to take us on a new journey. 
And that's where the song actually continues. And that's why I love talking about, O come all ye faithful, because what do we see? The next thing we see is that Jesus makes us faithful. And I love this, because I often feel like I haven't been very faithful. I can feel, just like righteousness, you know, if I miss a Bible reading for a day, I feel like, oh man, you know, there's things that we've put into our lives, and I got to do this, 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 and this to make sure I'm a good, holy Christian. And it is important to be disciplined in our lives. But I want you to understand that you don't make yourself faithful. There is someone who is the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the one that makes you faithful. Let us run the race on January 1st with perseverance. The race marked out for us. The journey of discipleship. The journey of maturity. The journey, if you want to Christianize it up, sanctification. To becoming every day more like Jesus Christ. He is the pioneer. Older translations say he is the writer, the author and perfecter of our faith. I cannot perfect my faith. I will never measure up. But I'm told time and again in the scriptures that because of what Jesus did, how he lived, how he died, and how he rose again, I am bathed in his righteousness. Not only that, but Paul's prayer For the church, this church specifically, the church in Thessalonica, he says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body, all of you, may all of you be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you, the one who invites you, what is he? Oh, come all ye. Who is ultimately faithful? Jesus is. He who called us is faithful. He will do it. He wins. He is victorious. When he calls people to himself, their salvation is secure. You cannot be snatched out of the hands of the evil one. And we have to remember that. He is faithful even when we are not. There are difficult times. There are times when we feel like we've let God down. Now, sin bothers God. Sin angers God. Sin deserves the wrath of God. The scriptures teach us that very clearly. Romans 3 gives such a painful reality of that. Romans 6 continues it. Why do I do what I don't want to do? And why don't I do what I want to do? But by the work of Jesus Christ, our sins are tossed. Different imagery in the Bible tells us different things. One says to be remembered no more. If God remembers our sins no more because of what Jesus has done, why do we have any business continuing to bring it up? It's also been told that it's thrown to the bottom of the depths of the ocean floor. And if you know anything about the depths of the ocean, we know that we as humans can't get there. The pressure's too much. It would kill us. In other words, our sin is to be explored and remembered and seen no more. It has been given to God, and by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, it has been forgiven. He is faithful, and he has brought us back to himself. He paid the price to bring us to himself. It's him who makes us faithful. It's him who makes us righteous. He began the good work in you and he will carry it on to completion and you are invited. There's one more part of the song that we want to explore 
And this is the one that I've been reminded that I've been struggling with a lot lately. Jesus is the source of my joy. I don't know if you grew up in the church, but we used to sing this little song. And I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say it for your sake. And it said, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. See, some of you realize that. And then there was this verse that I actually really liked to say because it made me practice my speaking well. I've got the wonderful love of the blessed Redeemer way down in the depth of my heart. Where? Down in the depths of my heart. Where? Down in the depths of my heart. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. This song, as simple and as cute as it is, is teaching massive biblical truth. It's teaching about our position in response to what God has done for us. We have been redeemed. We have been given joy, not because of circumstance, but because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Our position is saved. Happiness is what we often equate with joy, but happiness is different. Happiness deals with happenings, circumstances. Whatever's going on with me right now will determine whether I feel happy or not, right? That's, that's happiness. And if I don't like what's going on right now, well, then I'm not going to be very happy and I'm going to let the world know that. We do that sometimes, don't we? Joy is different. Joy comes from Jesus. Joy is deeper. I've been thinking a lot about that idea of joy in the depth of which joy infects me. I know infects is kind of a weird word to say, but when the love of God so overtakes me, it gets into every cell of my body and soul, and it is. It's an infection in the good way, and it should overflow out of me, yet circumstances can easily distract and move to the side. But when I realize who I am in Christ, I am a new creation, that God chased me by giving us Jesus who would save a sinner like me, who would save a skeptic that was curious, who continues to bring me back to himself when I'm weary and when I'm struggling and when I'm doubting. And he invites me into all these things. And he's saying, make your joy complete in Jesus Christ. That's deep. That's something that's supernatural. I know, again, that's a word we don't always like to use. But it's out of an overflow of the Spirit of God in us that we breathe out joy. Happiness depends on happenings, but joy depends on Jesus Christ. And Jesus already did the work. And he's coming back. And he loves you. And he continues to invite you to himself to find fullness and satisfaction in him, to find purpose in him. And from the moment, even before he was born, this is what we were told about who Jesus is. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, the gospel. I bring you the gospel. That will cause what? Great joy for all people. There it is again, inclusive. All people are invited to find great joy in Jesus 
Christ. So is your joy circumstantial? Is it based on what's going on around you? If it is, I want to invite you to something deeper. And his name is Jesus. He says, I've got you. Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches. He will care for you. He does care for you, as we talked about last week. He is the source of our joy. When we realize that apart from him, I was lost. This is real easy for me to illustrate. 20 years ago, Beijing looked different than it does now. Did you know that? 20 years ago, they had like one and a half metro lines, MTR lines. Now, it only takes not paying attention for one stop to be on a completely different section of town than you thought you were. And when you walk out and your hotel isn't there, it's very easy to get confused. How do I know this? Because on Wednesday of last week, I got on the metro and I went the wrong direction. Genius of city engineering in Beijing, which I used to love and it was comforting when I lived there, was the ring roads. Well, if you go the wrong direction, you end up in the wrong district. Duh. I was lost. But thankfully, through pinyin, I was found. And I was able to look and find the right way and make my way back. But Jesus calls the sinner who continues to go this way, thinking that this way is best, that fulfilling the needs of self is all we need. Jesus keeps saying, come back to me. And he says, come to me, you who are seeking wisdom, and I will give it to you without reproach. If you've messed up, come back. If you're struggling, come to me. If you've got questions, seek me. Who is the author and perfecter of our faith? Who is the source of our joy? His name is Jesus. And he calls everybody to himself saying, I am what you need. Christmas is about affirming that Jesus came to save a world and redeem it to bring a broken creation back to the perfection it was given and the promise that will come with Jesus' return. In this world right now, we are not perfect. We are made right with God by what Jesus has done. But a time is coming when old will become new again. When this world will be redeemed, the new heavens and the new earth will be created, and we will enjoy eternity the way it was meant from the very beginning. And we look forward to that with eager anticipation. We look forward to things being fixed because we can look around and say, this, there's got to be more right? I certainly hope this isn't all there is. And Jesus is coming back. So when he invites us, he not only says, come to me right now, but come to me forever. And it's just going to get better. Great joy for all people. Which therefore brings us to our final thing. Jesus makes us triumphant. It's easy to walk through this world feeling defeated But remember what Isaiah was told to prophesy hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and we said it to start our service. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and this government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government, of his rule, there will be no end. You see, the thing is, 
It's easy for us, and the Bible tells us some trust in rulers of this world, but right here we're taught that there is a ruler that's perfect. There is the right ruler that will lead us in all perfection, and he wins. He has already conquered sin, and he will restore things to the way they were created to be, and his name is Messiah. His name is Jesus. And we have our victory in him. This world may feel like it is just kicking us and knocking us down time and again. But we read that who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. He is the overcomer because Jesus has done the overcoming. Jesus has already won. And on that final day, when all things are made new and all things are brought to himself. We can know that once for all, we were invited to know the most high God, that we were adopted into his family because of what Jesus has done. That while we might feel faithless, we've been made faithful by his work. While we might feel defeated, we've been made victorious and triumphant because of what he has done. Some of you might recognize the words. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. Before that, it says, On every hand the foe we find, drawn up in dread array, let tents of ease be left behind, and onward to the fray. Salvation's helmet on each head, with truth all about. The earth shall tremble. Beneath our tread and echo with our shout, faith is the victory. Jesus invites us to trust him. Jesus invites us to live as a new creation, full of joy, confident in what he is continuing to do, trusting in his timing. Years ago, I got the privilege of hiring uh, Miss Twinkie Chu to work in our office It was one of the first things I got to do as the acting lead pastor of Alliance International Church. And shortly thereafter, we were having staff prayer, and she asked us to pray for her family, many of whom didn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, one of whom was her father-in-law. And over this week, we've been continuing to pray because her father-in-law has been quite sick and has been in the hospital now in the ICU. And Twinkie and Eric, her amazing husband, had asked us to pray and to join with them in praying and asking God for the opportunity to share the reason for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And last night, I think my WhatsApp went off at 10 o'clock. Praise the Lord. My father-in-law said, yes, he wants to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But see, here's the thing. God who calls us is faithful. I've only known Twinkie for about eight years, but I know they have longed for the salvation of their family for many more years. But God didn't see fit to do it on our timing. But God worked at just the right time to call people unto himself. He who calls us is faithful. He will complete what he started. And that heart was soft. And by the grace of God, Twinkie and Eric's father is now enjoying a new relationship. He is a new creation. And I look forward to meeting him. Whether it be on this side of eternity or on the other, we have been made triumphant. So, come, 
all ye faithful and faithless. He is ready for you. I want to play a video that reminds us. Oh, come all ye faithful. One of the greatest Christmas carols ever written. You've probably heard it hundreds of times. But there's a word in the song that's a bit out of place, and it's right in the title. Oh, come all ye faithful. You see, Jesus didn't come for the faithful. He came for the faithless. He came not for the righteous, but for the sinners. Jesus said, the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. He came for the hurting. He came for the doubters. He came for those who have written God off and want nothing to do with him. He came for one reason, so that we, the faithless, could be made faithful. Not by our own righteousness, but by his righteousness. No matter what you've done or what you've been through, Jesus came for you. So come, come all ye faithless, and he will make you joyful and triumphant. Christ is in our midst, right here, right now. So come. Let us all rise. Let's sing this song. O come, all ye faithful. <laughs> 